You're listening to Sex and Love with me, your host, Dr. Emily Jamia. This series focuses on all topics related to sex and love, both here in the U.S. and around the world. My goal is to not only showcase sexually empowered people, but also give a voice to the challenges many face due to the taboo nature of sexuality in many cultures. A rising feminist movement, plus herbs and potions that enhance sexual pleasure. Tune in to today's episode where I sit down with Yesire Olinkaya Agbola, a Lagos-based sexual health educator, to find out more on these topics in relation to sex and love in Nigeria, only on Sex and Love with Dr. Emily Jamia. Hello, everybody, and welcome. Today, I am joined by Yesire Olainka Akbola, who is a sexual health educator based in Lagos, Nigeria. Um, So welcome to the show. Please tell us a little bit more about yourself and the work that you do. Thank you, Emily. It's great to be here. Um, my name is Yesterday Olayin Kalagbola. I'm a sexual health educator and founder of Olorikoitos. Olorikoitos is a sexual health enterprise that focuses on sexual health and sex education. Um, we're based in Lagos, Nigeria. I have worked in the field of health and um, public health for over 10 years now, and specifically in the realm of um, sex and sex education. I started off my work in STI prevention, HIV uh, prevention and awareness, and I actually do that like in my day job, but I also saw the need for um, a lot of comprehensive sexual health education um, in the Nigerian space, um, which is, I grew up Um, in Nigeria, but I also went to um, high school and college in the U.S. So um, being a cultural kid and moving to 2012 really showed me that there was a need, especially even not just for, you know, teenagers and um, people in universities, but also for adults. I had a lot of friends who are super, super accomplished, super, you know, um, high earning, highly um, accomplished in their fields and they are very very unknowledgeable about like their sexual health and just their sexual their sexual well-being and so that was a real push for me Lori Curtis then started first as an Instagram page and now um we've moved into you know workshops and um also doing like private coaching group coaching and things like that so awesome well you are doing amazing work and I am with you I mean I think the up and coming generations are going to have a little bit more information, but there's such a huge need in the adult population for comprehensive sex ed because a lot of them didn't get it. Um, I'm assuming, yeah. especially so in you know more conservative areas like Nigeria. So let's talk about that a little bit. So tell me how you would describe Nigeria's sex culture compared to other African countries. Um, I would say that um, compared to other African countries, uh, Nigeria is probably a little more open or maybe just as open as others. Africans as a whole are not very uh, sexually, um, 
are not very sexually expressive in public. And so there's a lot of, I mean, Nigeria is the most populous black country in the world. Mm-hmm. We are at a, approximately 200 million right now. We didn't get here by just, and we're, I mean, for context, we're about the size, we're about double the size of Texas. Okay. So just for context. Right. A lot of people. The US billion it's in a huge space so just for context it tells you that like we didn't get here by just like being so hush hush about sex you know we have a lot of sex but we don't talk about it um and i think you will find that in most african countries where um it's something that is done in the dark it's something that is done in the privacy of your own home and so there are no public there are not a lot of public spaces which are safe spaces to really express your sexuality that makes sense. So I'm curious because Nigeria is kind of split down the middle in terms of being half Muslim, half Christian, correct? Mm-hmm. How, correct. how different or similar would you say the two groups are in terms of you know their views around sexuality? Would you say there's a strong religious influence or would you say there are more similarities as a whole throughout the country? Or cultural similarities, I should say. So, yeah is half Muslim and half Christian, but there are mo- hundreds of tribes in Nigeria. So so a lot of times we're not, most of the outside world sees us as divided across religious lines, but it's more eth- across ethnic lines. So I am Yoruba and in my tribe, we are one of the major, the three major tribes in Nigeria. And we are also split evenly in the Yoruba tribe, about 50% Muslim and 50% Christian. So I'll give you context. My dad's family is Muslim and my mom's family is Christian. Um, I am Christian, but I also grew up with a lot of Muslim um, influences. But what I'll tell you is that when it comes to religion, um, Islam and Christianity are very similar, have very similar um, viewpoints when it comes to sexuality. And so you're not really going to see a split in the country when it comes to like religious views about sex, because both religions really uh, like most sex, you know, uh, is a sacred between husband and wife and so you get a lot of those messages and so of course someone and they're very and these two religions are very patriarchal in nature either by design or by you know acculturation so we find that you know it's a lot about you know women keep yourselves pure for your husband women you know maintain your sexual purity and there's not a lot of talk to men to maintain that same level of sexual purity. And there's a blind eye turned to men who are, you know, sexually quote unquote deviant or are sexual outside of the confines of marriage. But that is not the same for women. You know, a woman who is considered um, sexually free or is having sex outside of her marriage or outside a marriage is considered, you know, a prostitute, a slut, you know, they, you come up with all kinds of names and terms for her. Don't have such terms for men. Yeah, that the vocabulary doesn't even exist. It sounds like it's exactly it does not exist um, for men, and which is which is why you know I mean in with 
I love, I, I mean, I am a millennial, but I love the Gen Z that's behind us because they are so irreverent, Emily. Oh, yeah. They, <laughs> I, I just, I, I just love them. And they don't, they're going to call a man a prostitute if they feel like he is, you know? Yeah. And some of them are even like, look, prostitutes are great. You know, they're sex workers. Sure, we, sure. we have to, you know, let us give them their work in. Um, and so they're, they're willing to like, say that a slut is not just a female a slut can be a male as well and there even own the term slut exactly so i mean so that that's what we're seeing now at least like in the um these days especially what has the response been to some of the pushback from the gen zers that are up and coming and have a loud voice so really interesting because um i think so the gen z's are you know, they have a super loud voice. And then we, the millennials, are somewhere in between where we're straddling the old and the new. And I think you will see this across cultures all over the world, really, because, you know, millennials, we grew up with, like, actual telephones that you would pick up. And, you know, I mean, some of us even remember when we didn't have um, call waiting. Like, right. when, when I was growing up in, in Lagos, we initially didn't have call waiting. And I remember when call waiting was introduced and then when call ID was introduced. Yeah. And then I remember when we got cell phones, you know, the yeah. Gen Z's grew up with cell phones. So they've had access to the internet from the onset. Yeah. They, um, the, the generation before, and so many of them have parents who were born in the seventies, right? Mm -hmm. And the, or maybe early eighties and late seventies and sixties. And so they parents understand children are so expressive who are not afraid you know to not only be but also talk about what they are you know and so there's always there's this I don't want to say clash but I think it's at the point now where the parents are just looking and the older generation is just like oh my god these kids are crazy but they almost think it's a phase you know that oh you know they're they're just in like a young rebellious phase and they yeah. grow out of it because like, I, totally, like I remember <laughs> Yes, like they're going to grow out of it. I remember like um, when, I grad when I graduated college, no, when I finished my master's and moved back to Nigeria, because I had worked um, at the health department, the Florida health department um, in uh, minority HIV prevention. And so when I moved back to Nigeria, I always used to have like when I was in college, I always used to have like a bowl of condoms in my apartment. You know, I was the person like my friends would always come to to talk about like sex and sexual health. And so when I moved back to Nigeria, I had this huge bowl of condoms. And the mother said she almost like she just literally like clutched her chest because she was like, who's going to marry you? Oh, my God. How can an unmarried woman uh -huh. be so I was like, but mommy, this is what I was doing. She's like, that, that was when you were in America. You're in Nigeria now. You know, you just cannot be talking and be acting like sex is just OK. When you're married, you can go ahead and do that. But right. Now, oh, my God. This is not okay. And literally, that's the idea, right? Because the older generation was having sex, and they were having a lot of sex. Yeah. But they were not talking about it. There was, no, there was no room for any type of open expression for right. it. So right. that is that. So that's the big difference. But then we see that with the younger generation, even though they're more expressive about their sex and sexuality, we really need to help them do it in a safe way. Mm -hmm. you know so that they're well equipped because the internet is full of information but information you know right. um yeah. so we really need more authentic 
Exactly. So we really need a lot of, um, you know, authentic voices that are credible um, talking about sex and sexuality to this younger generation. So even so that their expressions can kind of be channeled in the right ways. Right, right. So would you say the younger generations are more sexually active, like even having sex before marriage or what, what trends are you noticing? Well, there was actually a study done um, a few years ago about looking at like um, whether the looking at like an older generation of Nigerians in southeastern Nigeria and a newer generation of Nigerians, and they did find that yes, because of you know more liberalism and also more urban, so yes a lot of more people living in urban settings that is adding to the younger generation definitely um participating in more premarital sex and of course the hold of religion and culture on people is not as strong as it was especially when you don't live in a communal a total communal setting like in the rural areas um so a lot of young people are are definitely engaging in more premarital sex than like the the previous generations before them sounds like because they can get away with it more easily being a little outside their you know smaller communities tribes in the rural rural areas exactly and also yeah and even just the age of and then the age of marriage is also increasing so back in the day maybe in the 60s and the 70s you were having people getting married you know maybe at 18 19 20 Mm -hmm. and now you're having you know i see more people get married and even as far as like 30 something and there used to be a time when um if a woman wasn't married by 25 in my mom's generation my mom got married at 27 and that was a big do because her friends were in a rush to be married before 25 Mm -hmm. and now in our generation it was you know to be married before 30 but then there are a lot of women who are not over 30 and not married and you know like they're accomplished and they're telling you look i'm not rushing to get married just to get married it's either going to be done right or i'm not going to do it at all so i think you can't you you can't really say that someone who's you know 30 and not married is you know you're gonna it's going to be different from an 18 year old who's not married you know not engaged in premarital sex the older you are before you get married the more likely you are to engage in premarital sex right right it gets to a point where it's hard to wait much longer (laughs) yeah and i think i'm saying pre-sex what if never a marriage yeah and i think a lot of us are starting to realize i mean because growing up we had aunties and you know we knew people who never got married and it was always a thing but now a lot of women are choosing not to get married and that's you know almost like a different uh, it's a different conversation. So it's not even premarital sex because there's not going to be marital right. sex. Almost. Happening. Yeah. Yes. So my next question was within a relationship, what, what would you say are the, what was, how would you describe the dynamics within the couple? Would you say that people feel sexually free and open once they are married or generally? Cause I know you said at the beginning of the interview that people are obviously having a lot of sex. Um, they're just not talking about it that much in public. So within a couple, is there sexual freedom? Are there, you know, do people seem to be able to communicate their likes and dislikes preferences, that sort of thing? Or do you find that overall, 
there is still some gender gender inequality in terms of women feeling more inhibited. What, what do you notice? Um, I think across the board, um, we can say that women are still more um, inhibited when it comes to, you know, sexual freedom. Of course, we cannot generalize like across the entire country because, you know, there will be differences in terms, especially when you think about it broken down into like maybe social strata or even like economic um, strata. Because you will find that um, some women are able to fully express themselves, um, you know, and speak about their sexual wants, their sexual desires. And that usually comes from a place of, first of all, knowing what you want. However, we find, excuse me, that there are a lot of um, women who, like I said, they might be accomplished in a lot of other areas, but when it comes to their sexual relationship, they find it hard to communicate. And that's really because of uh, socialization that, you know, sex is not really something you talk about. Sex is something, you know, if you grew up in a Christian or a Muslim home where you were, as a woman, you were told to, you know, save yourself for marriage, you generally would have avoided being sexual until you were married or you were, you know, old enough to engage in sex. And because of that, even we find that women who are engaging in sex outside of marriage or sex before marriage are doing it, yes, they're going into it for their sexual pleasure. But at the same time, there's this innate shyness to talk about, you know, what they would like, because some of them don't even really know what they like. Um, I think across the world, we'll see that um, black women have been socialized to be objects of black men's desire. And so a lot of it is about pleasing the man. A lot of it is about, you know, what can I do to be um, as sexually adventurous such that he will stay with me and not go to another woman. That is very different from what can I do to be sexually adventurous so that I will enjoy the sex that I'm having, make it, you know, pleasurable for not just him, but especially for you. Right. Like what are you getting out of the sexual experience as opposed to what exactly. are you giving in the sexual experience? Now, exactly. tell, tell us a little bit about Kayan Mata, because that came up <laughs> when I was uh, preparing. Yes, great. Cause, <laughs> yes, um, I, I, I was expecting this and, okay. you know, I, I didn't want to run, run too long when I started talking about, um, you know, women's sexual pleasure, because see, when I talked about women wanting to know and get things that will keep him in and keep him from going to other women, Kayamata is a big part of that. So traditionally, Kayamata is um, a household word for women's things. Um, so it originates from like the northern part of Nigeria and really across um, the house speaking part of um, so um, in Nigeria and Africa as well. And what it is, is um, different types of herbs and spices that are known to be aphrodisiacs. They have been blended. These are, you know, things that women from centuries and centuries past have used for as like aphrodisiacs and much more just to make uh, the sexual experience more pleasurable. In the past 10 years, there has been a boom in Kayamata. Kayamata was mostly used by women in like Northern Nigeria. So a lot of women, I'm from the South, a lot of women and people in the South didn't really know what it was. But of course, you know, with the internet and just, um, 
more um, interface, we have now discovered what Kayamata is. And so we have a lot of women who are now running to get these Kayamata, believe in, because now it's now not just marketed as something that easy that you make, you know, for you come with your love. Also now marketed with this bit of, oh, he's never going to leave you, you know, make your, make your, you know, there's this whole, make your pussy so wet that, um, it's gonna, you know, he'll never go anywhere else. Um, you know, you have different ones that say things like, oh, once he has sex with you, you know, his, his penis is forever joined to you. And then he's not going to want to be with anybody else and all of this kind of things. And what I've always said about Kayamata is, Look, this is something that has been used for centuries and centuries. You know, there is a lot of study on the role of aphrodisiacs and how effective they can be, you know, to enhance in sexual pleasure. Mm-hmm. However, it's important that you're using it for the right reasons. If you are using it because you want to keep a man, because you don't want him to go out, you know, to be with someone else, and you're not doing it because, oh, I want to enjoy the sex that we're having there, you know, I want it to be more pleasure for us. It's never going to be enough. I've had clients who've come to me for, you know, when they come for coaching sessions and things, I had a client who once said she was so addicted. And I guess I'll put the word addicted in quotes. Yeah. She was so addicted to Kayamata that she couldn't have spontaneous sex with her husband because some of these things are like, Oh, put this in your, you know, drink this 30 minutes before you have sex, you know, um, apply this a few minutes before you have sex. So she could never have spontaneous sex. She couldn't just be sitting on the couch and her husband approaches her. And then it's like, they're going to have sex. She starts freaking out because, Oh my God, I haven't, I haven't used it. It's not going to be good, but You have to see it as an add-on and not as the only way. And so, I mean, a lot of the marketing obviously is done because people want to make money. And so you have to be a really smart and informed consumer for some of these things. So that's... Now, I know people, just because I know it's going to pop up in the questions, is there anywhere Mm -hmm. here in the U.S. that people can find some of these herbal blends? Um, I don't. No, for sure. I do know that some of a lot of the um, Kayamata um, sellers are they ship across the world. Okay. Um, so I'm sure if they did, I can't say I can't really give you a name right yeah. now. But I'm yeah. sure if they did like a Google search, and I think you know, do your research. Obviously, someone who has um, a bit more following, and you know, if you're seeing certain names pop up, there are some brands that are more known than others. And with all things, right, use it with caution. So, yeah. Yeah, I love to hear that you are shifting the focus, that this is something that you, you know, are welcome to take, but A, don't become dependent on it, and B, make sure that at least part of the reason you're taking it is to enhance the pleasure for yourself, not just to keep your partner. I think that's so important. Um. So tell me a little bit about, um, let's see, how we talked about, you know, the influence of the internet and the accessibility there. How would you say pornography use is in Nigeria and, and what changes have you noticed because of that? Hmm. That's, a, that's a really good question. Um, I remember like when we were growing up, pornography, they used to call pornography used to be called blue films. Mm. And I don't even, I'm not really even sure 
about the origin of why. And I remember like I had never seen like a pornographical movie before, but I assumed like it was like shaded in blue. Like when you, you know, like that was my assumption. And so imagine my shock the first time I saw like porn and there was no blue. All over it. There was was a blue-hued film. Yeah. Um, There there have been, um, there's been pornography in Nigeria, at least for as far back as I can remember, either coming from the West and some of it even coming from like Bollywood, from India. Um, We didn't have like homegrown, um, made in Nigeria pornography. Like our, I mean, Nollywood is the Nigerian version of Hollywood. It's third in the world after, you know, Bollywood and Hollywood, but, um, porn wasn't something that was really made in Nigeria. Um, in the last couple of years, I have heard that, um, you know, that people are starting to make, um, Nigerian pornographic movies. I haven't seen one personally, but I do know that like the influence of porn cannot be understated because there are, is a whole generation of men who grew up watching um, porn in one form or the other. Yeah. Um, either or a lot of them even used it as education. And so a lot of things started shifting. Um, I think before the 80s and even the 90s, there wasn't a lot of talk on like, say, oral sex. Yeah. But with, you know, the more people watch porn, the more it started to come to you know, like mainstream culture. It used to be something that was kind of like out um, outside of mainstream culture and like, you know, oral sex became part of mainstream culture. And now even anal sex is becoming um, a conversation that couples are having. And I think a lot of that can be said from watching porn, you know, and now another thing that's been, that's coming up a lot that I see with like a lot of my clients who come for, um, you know, personal coaching is squirting. Mm, you know, yeah. and this is interesting because um, there are African cultures where, like in Rwanda, where squirting has is like big, and you know, this is helping of making a woman squirt. You know, kunyaza really literally means to bring water, but in the Nigerian context, it's not really something that we have. Um, we have really explored except recently, you know, and that is also coming from, I think it's also an influence in that, Oh, squirt in. So men are asking, squirt in. What can I do to make her squirt? Women are coming and asking, Oh, we want to find out how can we squirt? You know, I have sex. It's good. I'm having an orgasm, but I'm not squirting. Does that mean that my orgasm is not good enough? And, you know, things like that. And I think a lot of that is coming from porn. And of course, there's a lot of pressure that watching porn brings even to men and women, because people forget that porn is extremely stylized, you know, cut and paste directed highlight reel of what sex should be. And so people come you know, men start to have all kinds of, um, they feel some type of way about their bodies because they don't have 11 inch penises and women are looking at these, you know, women in the, you know, in these films and movies and wondering, you know, why aren't their breasts, you know, standing upright and why is there some, you know, eyes and like the color of their vaginas. I've had women 
you know, come to me just because it's like, why is my labia so dark? Like the woman, even the black woman I see in, you know, the porn movies, their labia is so nice. And it's like the same color as the rest of their body, but mine is so dark. Like I hate it. Why is it, you know, so there's a lot of that, which is why like I caution a lot about watching porn um, just because you have to be really careful in the kind of images that you ingest because a lot of that then, you know, gets, portrayed in other ways and can really affect how you know your self-esteem and just how you feel about your body and your sexual prowess as well yeah i think i mean we see that here too in the u.s as as you know that there's so much body dysmorphia that has developed Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. of porn and people wanting to get like labiaplasties and vaginal rejuvenation and all of that exactly yeah yeah how would you say nigeria is in terms of being accepting of lgbtq what is the dialogue over there um these days around that population so um in a couple of years ago i can't i I don't want to quote the year but i know it was sometime around 2014 2015 the um there was a law that was signed it was called like the same sex marriage prohibition act okay and that literally criminalized um same-sex marriages and actually like created i believe for um it's like 14 years i think for um people who are convicted of you know engaging in same-sex um activities now that was a really crazy time because prior to this um we've had um in nigeria like there are people who you know engage in there were people gendered, um, intersex, and there was criminalization of it. You know, um, culture in some of the cultures they were more acceptable than others. I think a lot of people just kind of ignored or acted like it didn't exist, except maybe it was maybe like a family member. Of course, there, you know, um, or a lot of people just kind of acted like it didn't really exist. Um, there have been cases. Exactly. And even, um, you know, but there are some cultures, I I think in the Igbo culture of southeastern Nigeria, where um, women could marry another woman, maybe like a woman's husband died, and she then decided to take a wife, Hmm. who would then marry a man who would bear children who would then um, those children would belong to the woman who married that woman it's i mean it's i don't want to oversimplify there's a lot more to do with that but what i'm trying to say is that prior to colonization a lot more um a lot more diversity and a lot more um acceptance of there wasn't just a heteronormative way of viewing marriage and relations um when the british came along with colonialism and religion they brought christianity and you know Mm-hmm. The Arabs brought Islam. There was now, the, but especially with Christianity, there was a lot of you know backlash on anything that wasn't heteronormative, um, and that I think has really put a lot of influence, even post-colonial um, influence. I mean, because Nigeria gained independence in 1960, so we're talking you know 61 years, yeah. but that influence is still really observed in how in a lot of our laws and a lot of um you know the attitudes so there is now like this attitude of um of criminalization of patients 
So it's become, it has now it's become even more conservative to the extent that it's criminalized. Yes, but the funny thing is, even though it's criminalized, I think what that did was it created, like before, I think before that law and before a lot of that, you didn't have like, you know, like um, LGBTQ, like, interest groups or you know like support groups and things like that but what that has done now is there's now a lot of that you know there there's a lot more empathy people are now actively trying to say okay you know what they criminalize it why and people are now trying to you know doing more research understanding more about like what it means to be lgbtq and why that is and of course you know there's still a big religious pushback but you're seeing especially in people who are um, more exposed, there's a lot more acceptance and a lot more, um, good. and just finding out. And so even though the law is there, it's kind of, to me, I feel like it has backfired yeah. because now as is often the case, right? Exactly. So it's kind of like, um, what they, what, they wanted to not happen is what is actually now happening because yeah. you're having, yeah, when I was growing right. up, I, di- I didn't know a single person who was out, Okay, as, you know, but now I, I know lots, you know, mm-hmm. and there are even people in the public eye who are out, but of course not out, you know, there's, sure. you still have to straddle that. Like, okay, I don't want to go to jail for right. know, 40 years. Of course there is still a good portion of society that is very discriminatory. That's very, um, that thinks, of course, especially from a religious standpoint, that think, you know, that, you know, there's something, you know, inherently wrong with it. Some people think it's like a demonic possession. And so there's this whole, you know, trying to, I have been, um, for deliver. I think things like in the U.S. where they have conversion camps, mm-hmm. things of that nature. So there is, so it's not like, I mean, there's still a big push and pull. It's not like in the U.S. where, you know, there's a big, big push for LGBTQ rights, but it's definitely like coming up in the underground. Yeah. Sounds like there's now space for a dialogue and groups are coming together. So it'll be interesting mm-hmm. to see what happens, what influence that has in the coming years. Definitely. Wanna, um, just one more question, topic, I guess, and we'll wrap up. And that is around yeah. gender equality. So, you know, I think globally there have been a lot of, feminist movements and I'm curious what you guys have seen in Nigeria because as I was preparing for this I read one kind of alarming statistic which was that 35% of women as compared to 25% of men believe that wife beating is justified for things like if she burns the food or argues with him or goes out without telling him neglects the children or refuses sex like Tell me a little bit about what you're seeing in terms of um, women's rights and gender equality. And yes, that statistic is unfortunately probably really close to being correct. Wow. Um, we see a lot of. I feel that I have. I have said this that some of the biggest holders of patriarchy are women. Hmm. Um, and this is. I mean. I, I definitely would like to study why yeah, this is. I know that was going to be a I don't, question. Why? I, I, I cannot really, I don't know about in other cultures, but I find a lot in Nigeria that some of the biggest, staunchest supporters of, you know, these patriarchal ideals that hold that women are women, especially women of an older generation. You hear things like, 
you know, went through this. And what is so special about your generation that you cannot go through this? You know, we went through this and survived and even thrived. And you, you see and hear um, a lot of women. And before you, we used to think, oh, this was something that happened mostly to rural women, you know, mm-hmm. maybe women who weren't um, economically independent. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of lot more Nigerian women who are economically independent. In fact, there are a lot of Nigerian women who are breadwinners, but there's still that patriarchal thing where a woman is the, you know, is the main financial um, provider in her family, but she doesn't say she cannot own that in public or almost even in private because she doesn't want to emasculate her man. And so she takes on this subservient role um, and the, the wife as being private and takes even an extra submissive role just so that the man doesn't feel that she is lording her financial power over him. Almost um, compensate for... Yes, exactly. Literally just um, compensating for it. Yeah. And um, we are... Start, I mean, if you go on Twitter, <laughs> you're, you're going to be... It's almost the opposite because... sorry you said you're having Um, (laughs) (laughs) yes they're really terrible um if you go on twitter there is a big feminist movement and there is just generally in nigeria pushing back on all those um, patriarchal you know ideals or they're not even ideals they're ideas really and um last year there was a group that started it's called the feminist coalition um a couple of women who came together to just start to push, you know, feminist, well, let me just put it like feminist agenda. But you know, when people talk about agenda, they talk about it in an almost, um, in a derogatory manner, thinking that, you know, women, you know, like in Nigeria, when you talk about feminism, a lot of people, you have a lot of women say, I am not a feminist. And they say that because, they believe that the idea of feminism is women over men. Right. Like and then you have to explain to them. Men and that's not the yes, case. exactly. And yeah. then it's like, no, we're saying that women have the same rights yeah. as men. And that is about equality, equality, not about, you know, we're not looking for matriarchy. We're looking for equality. Right. And a lot of people are, I think a lot more people are starting to realize that. I mean, the feminist coalition, that group I mentioned earlier was responsible for, for really funding and support, um, we had the movement. We had a nationwide protest against police brutality and uh, especially like a police unit called SARS, uh, which has been known for just being really brutal, just especially against young people across the country. And the Feminist Coalition, you know, was able to crowdfund and also disperse like funds and help support people. Like there were protests all over the country. People were getting, you know, people were getting arrested. They had um, lawyers. They put together lawyers, bails, all kinds of things. And people really saw that. Oh wow, look at what a community of women could come together to do. Mm-hmm. And wow. so, but even with that, right? And even with, I mean, we have feminist writers like you know, Chimamanda. Ngozi Adichie and Ijama Benyo and so many other, you know, feminists who are, you know, really speaking out about, you know, what it means to be a woman and equality of 
you still have a lot of product. And sometimes it's even from the most unlikely sources. Yeah. And I think it's not something that is going to happen. You know, they say a journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. So it's not something that's going to happen overnight. I think even just across the world, even in the U.S., you see that, like, there is a lot of pushback against feminism. I mean, we thought Hillary Clinton was going to be president, for God's sake. And look what we got. Um, I, You know, I remember, like, voting. Like, I was in Nigeria, and I sent my... Um, my absentee ballot in and I made everyone vote for Hillary and I was so depressed really? for like weeks. Yes. Cause I did, yeah. I was so sure. Right. But then he just told you that even, even America was not ready. Mm -hmm. And that told you that even America wasn't ready for a female president. And that tells, you know, it just speaks a lot about the state of the world we're in. It almost sometimes. Like, think of how people mm -hmm. Sometimes it's, Sometimes the more steps we forward, the more we go back. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Uh, well, I could sit and talk to you for hours. I think I, I have like a list of all these questions here and I feel like I barely made a dent, but I think we wow. have really, really important <laughs> topics and I just want to thank you for joining me. Tell people where they can find you if they want more information. Thank you, Emily. Uh, you can find me on, um, on Instagram, on Twitter and Facebook at Olori Koitus. That's O-L-O-R-I-C-O-I-T-U-S. I also have a podcast that just launched this month. It's the Olori Koitus podcast. So you can also find me on um, across all um, podcast um, features like Spotify, Google Podcasts. We're coming to Apple um, in a couple of weeks, but we're going to be on there as well. So, yes. Awesome. Great. And you, it sounds like you kind of split your time between Nigeria and the U.S. Is that right? Yes, I do in Nigeria, but I also have um, some of the things I do in the U.S. as well. So we, my, my family and I do split our time mm -hmm. between um, Nigeria and the U.S., but we're mostly in Nigeria. Okay. Well, one of these days, I hope to meet you in person. I, I really Same here. enjoy our conversation. So thanks again. And um, you guys know where to find her if you'd like more information. Thank you for tuning in today, and I will see you next time. Thank you, Emily. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of Sex and Love with me, Dr. Emily Jamia. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to like, subscribe, and share with a friend or partner. I release an episode every other Monday. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Dr. Emily Jamia. If you and your partner are struggling with emotional and sexual intimacy, check out my online workshop available at www.emilyjamia.com. See you guys next time on Sex and Love.